0: The fact that a lifelong bachelor and world-traveling womanizer is a lead counsel in my love life is problematic, to be sure. (laughs) You go to war with the army you got.
1: (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Personal Disclosures. I'm Nancy Beckett, and I'm your host. Eight people signed up for one of my humorous writing classes here in Chicago at the Second City Training Center, where I've taught for more than 15 years. They entertained the hell out of each other, bonded and shared secrets they'd never told anyone. And now they're revealing their truth to you. These stories have so much meaning and quality because they are written. I mean, people are a huge pain in the ass, generally speaking, myself included, and they'll bore you to death if you let them. But in these episodes, what you'll discover is how interesting people actually are on paper. It'll surprise you, and you're going to want more. So please, go to our website at personaldisclosures.com. See more of us, tell us what you think, and disclose some of your own truth, why don't you? Here's how it's going to go. After one person reads a personal disclosure, we're going to riff... We're going to cross-talk, we're going to get crazy and funny and contradict each other, and then we're going to move on. You're not going to know who's talking in these commentaries. That's okay. There's nothing you're going to miss. Just listen to the things that people say to one another as writers in a room, reading together. And after a couple of episodes, you'll know who we are. This episode is bad romance, when stumbling into love falls short of fairy tale. Our first storyteller, we have Tony Dowell, who is a Hoosier and an attorney and a father of four, but most importantly, a widower. And he came to the Second City ready to do business, and he actually, for an aging bro, He took it all in and threw it all down. A lot of attorneys like to write, let's face it. That's where the Creative Brain Trust goes, is into law firms sometimes. But he is unleashed, unchained. We're never getting
0: rid of this guy. The name of the story is Night Gathers Uh, and Now My Watch Begins.
2: Ooh. Scares. chills, yeah.
0: Did you buy your flowers for Valentine's Day yet? It was my buddy Tex on the line at about 7.30 in the morning on the Saturday before Valentine's Day. Tex always calls early in the morning because it's nighttime wherever he is in the world, and he's out getting fucked up after closing one of his real estate deals. Tex will ring me up every couple months to check in on my love life and brag about his latest sexual conquests. Sometimes he will put a woman on the phone who I can never understand due to her thick accent, who Tex has just met somewhere on the other side of the planet. (laughs) What's up? I answered. You buy your flowers yet? Tex repeated. This was a trick question, of course, to see if I'd been paying attention. Never have a girlfriend on Valentine's Day, Tex often admonished. In Tex's view, Valentine's Day is the worst day of the year, followed closely by New Year's Eve. On those dark days, Tex is forced to choose one and only one of the several women he's dating, which inevitably leads to problems. Tex's other major rule is that when a relationship ends, it is no one's fault. According to Tex, all relationships at some point just blow up. (laughs) The fact that a lifelong bachelor and world-traveling womanizer is the lead counsel in my love life is problematic, to be sure. (laughs) But as Dick Rumsfeld said, you go to war with the army you got. (laughs) A few days after Trish died, my son Jake, age 13 at the time, asked me, Dad, do you think you'll ever get married again? After just losing his mother, I knew what he wanted to hear, what he needed to hear, "'Nah, Jake, I don't think so. Your mother was very special. "'I don't think I could ever be married again,' I assured him. Mm. "'That's good,' Jake said, relieved. "'I think you should just focus on being a badass.'" (laughs) My days as a badass lasted all of three months. After three months of hanging out with the guys, I met Darla. I was at a bar with some other miscreants and erstwhile frat boys, and in walked Darla. She was absolutely stunning. Small, like an elf, with beautiful blonde hair. (laughs) Darla gave me the boy tingles, and my promise to Jake was forgotten. After talking to Darla for a few minutes, I just told her, You are beautiful. We should go out. I had lost my wife of 23 years to the cancer, so I just went for it, not even caring if I got rejected. My heart was already broken, so I was immune to getting hurt. Worst case, I figured, I would get rejected and could just go home and watch the Trish video and cry, like I did every other night. So nothing to lose, really. To my surprise, Darla said yes, and we planned to see each other the very next night. I called a friend the next day who knew all the women in town to get some background on Darla. Oh, I know Darla, Marie told me. Be careful. Yeah, she's an eight, but she's a bitch. That's absolutely ridiculous, I replied. She's a nine. (laughs) On our third date, Darla asked me about religion. "Uh, Well, Darla, to be honest, I don't believe in God, and I don't go to church. Darla just stared at me heartbroken, and a single tear ran down her face. (laughs) what's, What's wrong, I asked. I'm looking for someone to spend the rest of my life with, an eternity in heaven, Darla replied earnestly. I wondered if this was some sort of joke, but clearly it wasn't. She was serious. Although I found the concept of heaven to be ridiculous, I tried to be serious and respect her deeply held religious convictions. But still, even if there was a heaven, and if I got in which is a big if, wouldn't I be with Trish in heaven? Or would I be with Trish and then see Darla on the side? Is that how heaven works? Darla and I dated for 10 months before things blew up. Maybe it was her ex-husband, or maybe it was because Trish's friends told my daughters that their mother would not have liked Darla, which was nice. Who knows? For whatever reason, as Tex says, the relationship blew up. Next up was Shanna, my buddy Mongo's second wife, who was younger and in her early 30s, fixed me up with her friend Shanna. Shanna was beautiful, blonde, of course, and young. Only 31 when we met, Shanna was still age appropriate under the half your age plus seven rule.
3: <laughs> but just
0: barely. If you do the math, and I have, 47 <laughs> divided by two is 23.5. Add seven to 23.5, you get 30.5. Shanna was 31, so she made it. Dating a hot young smoke has its moments, if we're being honest with one another. I figured that Shanna was the best I was ever gonna get out of this life or the next. After a whirlwind relationship of a couple months, Shanna and I got engaged while on a trip to Las Vegas. At the pool at the Cosmo, I asked Shanna to move in with us, along with her three-year-old daughter. Shanna said she would, but only if we were married. I negotiated that down to an engagement. If I'd had a few more Bud Lights that day, Shanna and I probably would have been married. Well, we weren't married that day at the Cosmo, and instead came home from Vegas engaged with Shanna and her three-year-old daughter moving in to our home in West Lafayette. That did not go over well with my daughters, to say the least, or with the fine ladies of West Lafayette, who were definitely not supportive of this turn of events. Eight months later, everything in my life had pretty much gone to hell. Long story. Over lunch, I told Shanna that it was over, giving my excuse of how complicated my life had become. How is your life going to be any easier without me, Shanna asked. I didn't answer. That would have been mean. Actually, it would have been meaner. It was already mean. Yeah. I just looked down, shaking my head. Two nights later, my buddy Skip and I were out at the bar, talking about dirt and little black dresses and trying to figure out why we couldn't make money selling either. Another long story. Shanna walked in with a group of women about her age, her friends and Lafayette. When she approached the bar, Skip and I said hi. Shanna had not moved out yet, but we had been avoiding each other since the breakup. She looked stunning, in her blue dress, a puffy skirt, and high heels. She had bounced back well. What are you guys up to tonight, I asked her. Just going out, she answered, smiling. We are getting a lot of attention, she informed me, getting a dig in. I am sure you are, I agreed. When she left to join her friends, Skip said, Wow, Tony, you handled that well. She just told you that she was going out and getting a lot of attention from guys, and you just said, I'm sure you are. Don't you care? I shrugged. No, Skip, I honestly don't care. That's how I know I don't love her. So I let Shanna go. As Tex said, it wasn't my fault. It just blew up. Shanna was married about a year later and now has another daughter with her new husband. I hope they're happy. After Shanna, I decided to try online dating. My two oldest daughters warned me to avoid Tinder. Dad, online dating is fine, but stay away from Tinder, they told me. There's no one on Tinder but sluts and people trying to get laid. So I got on Tinder. (laughs) And thus began a string of relationships and multiple relationships at a time, none lasting more than a few months, most less than that. Tex was ecstatic, calling frequently for updates and demanding pictures. If you study the pool of women I have dated, you would note that almost all were blonde and their names disproportionately end in the letter A. I don't know, maybe the pool of eligible women over the age of 40 are disproportionately blonde with names ending in A, or maybe I'm inclined in that direction. Who's to say? The one exception would be Anne, who was neither blonde nor punctuating her name with an A. Ann and I went to high school together, but we didn't date in high school. She was the hottest girl in our class and was dating the older guys. We reconnected on the Facebook machine a couple years ago and dated off and on for a couple years. But that blew up, per usual. And then there's Ava. Ava's blonde, of course, and breaks the scale on the hot-crazy matrix. <laughs> Ava is ridiculously hot, but also ridiculously crazy. It is probably comedic memoir malpractice not to tell you more about Ava, but I better get this wrapped up. Really? I believe that marriage at the highest level enables a couple to legally commit to take care of one another, raise kids, and build a life together. At the lowest level, marriage merely avoids loneliness. Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote in Obergefell v. Hodges, that 2015 Supreme Court decision that legalized gay marriage, He said, marriage responds to the universal fear that a lonely person might call out and find no one there. Kind of a bleak statement, but effectively makes the argument for marriage for all, gay, straight, whatever. Everyone should have the ability to legally avoid loneliness. But what if you aren't lonely? What if you're perfectly fine doing your own thing, working, writing, remembering the better times? If you aren't lonely and you've already raised kids and built a life, then really, what's the point? I take the position you get one chance at love in this life. When you were young, you get one chance to meet someone, fall in love, have some kids, and build a life. Maybe it all works out, maybe it doesn't. Sometimes you can control that, sometimes you can't. If it all works out, good for you, and that is love. Congratulations. If not, whether it was you, her, or the cancer, it blew up. That's no one's fault. It just blew up. Got to make the most of it while you can, but it's not really love. That's my theory anyway.
1: Okay. God bless Tex. <laughs> Wherever the hell he
2: is. That quote, marriage responds to the universal fear that a lonely person might call out and find no one there, certainly very accurately describes my tender
4: experience.
2: <laughs> I mean, you answer like all these, these questions that people spend lifetimes searching for, like what is love? It's like not not wanting to fuck someone and what is heaven it's like maybe having a side piece we don't know but you do <laughs> i feel enlightened it's so interesting like the litmus test are you still in love with someone is so different than maybe what mine would be <laughs> i think i might be thinking would i take a bullet for this person and he's like would I care if someone else fucked her?
1: <laughs> well, and it, it says to me that men, even in love or matters of life and death, are competitive. You know that. No,
2: that's true.
1: That for them to even broach the topic, let alone tell the truth about it, is an eye opener. I mean, I, I didn't like him, and then I liked him. That's what I also like about Tony. There's, is that, there are
2: times where you, yeah, where you do find yourself opening up, and I think that's very much you. You show us this little glimmer of what a good person you are, and then you're like, nope, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Back up.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's self-awareness bro style. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. The Second City Training Center proudly sponsors the good stuff here at Personal Disclosures. Second City Training Center gives people a chance to have fun, go bold, and find they're funny. Whether it's improv to storytelling or writing to acting or stand-up to music, you'll find a perfect class at secondcity.com slash TC. Or if you're just wanting to do what we're doing on this podcast, then just go to secondcity.com slash online and register. Next up, we have a really special one. This person, Jessica, is actually taking a second master's degree right now or something. You know, if you wanna get it done, give it to a busy person. She's a serious writer, this one. She's got great sex stories. You know, not everybody can write about sex. Some people can write about romance or what they think love is or dating or some shit. I don't know. And (laughs) Jessica writes about sex. I think that might be all I need to say. There's another part to all of this, which is that she's looking deep inside herself. And so while she's delivering these salacious goods, she's also looking into her own heart.
5: Sprightly Sherpas. The first time we did it was pretty good. The second time was better. And the third and fourth times were better still. There was no fifth time, as it was a one-night stand kind of deal. A one-night stand that happened on two separate nights with two separate outcomes. Not especially beautiful or alluring, I'm not the kind of person who goes to the bar to meet sexy sex partners. I'm a personality gale. My face and body will not necessarily wow you, but if you want to get your sexy cerebral on, I'm your chick. (laughs) Always younger than all of my college roommates, they would go out and meet a pleasant looking boy or girl at the bar, while under the legal drinking age, Jessica would stay in and smoke weed waiting for them to return with their conquests, making snarky, hilarious commentary that my drunken audience would not fully understand in their inebriated and horny state. So it came as a bit of a surprise to them when they saw a recently turned 21-year-old Jessica engaging in a hardcore, no-holds dance floor makeout session with some random dude at the bar. That night I was quite drunk. Not blackout or unruly, but I was newly 21 and ready to get my legal drink on. Me and this fella started dancing without introducing ourselves first, as is the custom in most college bars, and at some point, the dancing turned into a very enthusiastic game of tonsil hockey. When my roommates tell the story, they describe a crashing ocean of people on the dance floor, parting like the Red Sea to reveal me, the young snarky stoner of the house, engaging in some (laughs) intense borderline inappropriate dance floor dry humping with a dude none of them recognized. He was a PhD student from Nepal, tall and solid, with lovely tan skin and a thick set of eyebrows that were decidedly not on fleek. (laughs) After ending our award-winning grind show that we had performed for the lucky bar patrons, we went back to his apartment. I followed him in my car, stopping at a convenience store to pick up Sprite and condoms, which kind of became my thing for the rest of college. (laughs) His apartment was small, and he said he shared it with a few other international students. We continued making out in the living room before moving into the bedroom, that for some reason had multiple mattresses. He said he shared the room with a couple of friends because they were all poor college students just trying to finish their studies. I was in no mood to think too much about the situation and was only thinking about one thing, doing it. And then afterwards, quenching my thirst with some delicious ice cold Sprite. After drunkenly slapping our bodies together in such a way that caused my nose ring to actually come out of my nose and which caused my male suitor to roll over and pass the fuck out, I started formulating my escape. It had been a delightful evening. The Sprite had been delicious, but it was time to go. I dressed myself, went out into the living room and was just finishing the tying of my shoes when a cell phone that was on the coffee table began to loudly ring. It jumped and vibrated over the cheap table, ringing just as loudly as it could ring. Naked and drunk, my Nepalese lover flung the bedroom door open like a nude Southeast Asian Kramer. (laughs) Where are you going, he asked. Oh, I should get home, I said, as I quickly finished tying my shoe and turned towards the door. No, no, wait, he pleaded with me walking his naked form over towards the TV. You like porno, he asked. (laughs) Before switching on the TV, the screen filling up with a very explicit, very porny sex scene. He looked at me, looked at the screen, and then looked back at me with a scandalous grin on his face. Well, I sighed. I'm already here. Kicking off my (laughs) shoes and making my way over to the naked man with a smile on his face. After the second and superior sex act was finished, we realized his roommates must have come home as there was TV noise and chatter coming from the living room. We dressed and went into the living room, where I was greeted by what I can best describe as a room full of friendly Sherpas. Now Nepal is famous for a few things, Buddhism, Mount Everest, and the small yet strong Nepalese Sherpas who guide people up the mountain. And that night, every single one of those Sherpas appeared to be in the living room of this tiny apartment. More than just a few roommates did he have. They were all incredibly friendly, waving their tiny Sherpa hands at me, their small, (laughs) windswept Sherpa faces smiling, inviting me to sit down and join them, offering me some of their late night Sherpa takeout. I didn't even know how to handle what was happening. I wanted to laugh. I wanted to leave an embarrassment. I kind of wanted to go back in the bedroom and do it again. My cheeks flushed with sex and a twinge of embarrassment, I said hello and goodbye to the tiny Nepalese army that was gathered in the living room. (laughs) Kissed my porn-loving one-night stand goodnight and hurried to my car, shaking my head the entire drive home. We met up once more, me and the fella from Nepal. Another random meeting on some random night. This time he followed me with his car to my apartment, stopping again for condoms and Sprite. At this point, I was living in a new place and had a new roommate. And we had made a bet over who would have sex in the house first. I won that bet because of my Asian paramour, and my roommate had to buy me a pizza, and it was a win on so many levels. <laughs> Once again, the sex was pretty darn a-okay, and this time we actually talked, had a conversation, which is something we had not done during our previous interaction. We sat in my basement, both naked and chain-smoking Lights, debating politics and ethics and religion, He was a smart one, that naked PhD candidate, our conversation becoming heated until we were forced to take a break from the talking in order to do it one more time. Sometimes talking is the best form of communication, other times it's fucking. (laughs) Afterwards, he informed me that we could never be together, as his parents would not approve of an American woman, and his main focus now was on finishing his PhD. This was another moment where I didn't quite know what to do. I wanted to laugh I wanted him to leave so I could get some sleep I kind (laughs) of wanted to do it again this was a thought that had not even crossed my mind to me our first encounter and now our second one was a one and done not the beginnings of a relationship rather an opportunity seized upon by both parties the Nepalese lover was never seen again after that second night he called more than a few times but I never picked up sometimes I wish I'd answered those calls said hello and gotten down to the business of doing it but that's not what happened. I did what I so often do and dismissed the idea of a man wanting to spend time with me, assuming I'm not good enough or pretty enough for anything more than just a brief interaction. I stopped it before there was a chance it could become something, and the possibility of me getting hurt was not even an option yet. A life lesson I have yet to learn, as I still think the idea of a man finding me attractive or wanting me in any way as being ludicrous, still put an early stop to something that might theoretically hurt my heart in some manner. I suppose I'm still waiting for that special Sherpa to show me the way. (laughs) Guide me through the rough terrain of the mountain that is self-acceptance so that I might not accuse myself of being unbeautiful or not enough. And then, once we've reached the summit, my Sherpa and I will do it on top of the mountain more than four times, always taking a quick break in between sessions for a refreshing drink of ice-cold Sprite.
1: (laughs) Oh my god, so funny. And then so poignant the story took this emotional turn and i was really left with a feeling of seriousness or i don't know what do you call it fear
0: what well, i think that was the point i mean it's an entertaining story very funny but it was really just a setup to uh express your worldview on relationships or at least at this stage in your life which may change and uh, it certainly has for me and and that's really what my story was mm-hmm. when I told it, it. was I'm just telling you some funny lines and some things just to get to what the philosophy is. And so we understand why it is. You can't just start off and say that. Right. you got to understand some of the world experiences and what you're going through to get any meaning from it. That's why it meant a lot to me.
1: It's just smoke and mirrors. When in fact, we're all just animals, and we're all wanting to be loved, and we're all wanting the same things. I mean, we want to be kept, we want to be admired, or whatever it is.
6: What I found really interesting about it at the very end was, which I have not said this thought out loud, but I think in my own head, because I've slept with a few women in my life, and I actually feel that way when I am with women, where I'm like, no woman would actually want to be with me, right? Dudes, like, they're into this, but girls just want it for one night. And I'm like, whatever, this makes sense to me. And I find it really sad, but then I also have this other out where I'm like, yeah, I still got boys to fall back on.
4: This is Julie Bashkin, the executive producer. Anyone can, and should, do what we're doing here. Visit our website, personaldisclosures.com, to make your own disclosures. We have celebrity comedians and best-selling authors who will work with you individually. Whether you're an experienced writer or have never attempted to do this in your life, we can make you funny, smart, and interesting on paper. And now, back to the show for some more provocative stories.
1: Kels is our baby member. She's the youngest of us all. And she's a genius. I'm not exaggerating. She's a full-blown, world-renowned architect. And honestly, you you cannot make this stuff up. Kells is actually writing about a health problem while having sex and riding a bike. Not at the same time. So get out your Urban Dictionary. You're going to be schooled a little bit. Expect the worst and enjoy the best.
6: I sometimes have a lot of trouble getting blood to flow to my heart, which isn't rather cute at the age of 21. I have crappy, unworked muscles in my back that pinch on my arteries and close the blood flow. It is a recent diagnosis. I'd been complaining to my doctor in Canada about palpitations for well over a year. But you see, doctors tend to do this thing where once you mention that you have anxiety, suddenly everything becomes a result of it. But alas, screw that guy, I was right. The first time it happened, it was around 8 p.m. when I was biking home from work. I don't remember exactly why I had to stay late, but it was probably because being an architect sucks. There was a nice breeze, and it was only about 15 degrees Celsius or 60 degrees Fahrenheit. As I plugged my city bike into the station, I thought it would be hilarious to send out a quick Snapchat mentioning my obesity and how tired I was after only a two-mile ride. That was until I suddenly couldn't actually breathe, and my heart started to ache. In that moment, all I remember thinking was how hard I was going to vom.com all over the BMW beside me, as all of the white children and their nannies would stare from the park adjacent. I live in River North. I woke up 10 minutes later on the concrete surrounded by hot moms in yoga pants, gay couples, and the most attractive paramedic I had ever seen. It was a shame he didn't attempt CPR. This had been my first interaction with fainting, and I loved it. I would 10 out of 10 recommend on Yelp. They say four hours of intoxicated sleep is equivalent to one hour of sober sleep. I would like to speculate that 10 minutes of syncope is equivalent to 47 hours of sober sleep, or 188 hours of intoxicated sleep. It is wonderful. The only shitty part is the whole waking up in public on the ground with strangers around you. But sometimes you have to give to get. In my experience, the American health system has this strange bit where they ask your height and weight, which is miserable for one reason. It is one thing to hear a doctor state their numerical observations on the scale, but another to admit it to yourself out loud. One time I made this hilarious joke and told my nurse I was between 11 and 12 hot dogs tall and weighed approximately two small lambs. When she didn't laugh, I told her very seriously she should learn the metric system. (laughs) my other favorite trick is providing a weight much lighter than I really am and watching the nurse's reaction so what I can honestly tell you is I'm anywhere between 150 pounds and two small lambs (laughs) as the significance of a 21st birthday is little to none in Canada my best friend Mariah decided we would celebrate hers in Las Vegas This is an excellent example of the dramatic people that I surround myself with, people that will fly to a different country for attention. As I would soon be leaving town for a number of days, I spent the Saturday night prior to departure with one of my regular hookups, Santiago, a 35-year-old Latino who is completely wrong for me. Aside from his neediness, he is racist, ignorant, and immature, but he is extremely good in bed and bought me things, (laughs) alas. He came to my house that evening to cook me dinner and brought expensive bottles of wine. This was a common gesture, as I had to drink a lot when I was with him to, you know, blur the hatred. (laughs) After our first bottle of champagne, I opened a bottle of red to accompany our steak and later another bottle of Prosecco to accompany our dessert. Needless to say, I was feeling good. Things started to get hot and heavy, so we moved to the bedroom. Despite my weak heart, I hadn't had a major episode for months and was intoxicated enough to spice it up, a.k.a. I shifted one level up from starfishing. You could say that night I was an ambitious starfish. (laughs) (laughs) Things were going when suddenly my heart started to really race. Santiago knew of my prior episodes, and I had luckily prepared him with an in-case-of-emergency list. I woke up minutes later in the dark. Have you ever scratched that? I know the type of people that I attract. You know when you drink too much and lay on your bathroom floor in between vomit sessions as the room spins? When I woke up in the dark, that's how I felt. So at first, I thought I'd passed out for hours from drinking and Santiago had tucked me in and left. Suddenly, I felt his hand on my knee and heard him whisper, Kelsey? I realized what had happened. I had fainted on his dick. Let me say that again. <laughs> I went into syncope while another human being was inside of me. I mean, I felt terrible for scaring him, but also congratulated him on screwing me to death. Honestly, the best part of the situation was as I passed out, he removed his shirt for the first time. He was very insecure about his body, as he had just lost a bunch of weight, but decided he was finally comfortable. Allegedly, as I passed out, I started snorting from the lack of oxygen, which he took as uncontrollable laughter. (laughs) It was a very sensual moment. (laughs) I was rushed to the hospital at 11 p.m. and knew I would be admitted for observation for the night. I called Mariah in panic, as it were only her and I headed to Vegas. I knew I had to make my flight the following day, hard episode or not. Mariah didn't agree with this and assured me that my health was the most important. But let's be real, that was bullshit. I told everyone at the hospital I had the episode while working out at 11 p.m. with three bottles of wine in my system. (laughs) Surprisingly, no one questioned this. I had the typical IVs, heart monitors, blood tests, and pressure tests done to ensure I was stable. As alcohol is a major blood thinner, I would squirt blood all over myself, the nurse, bed, floor, and table every time I had to give a vial that night. As I was released, my doctor suggested I avoid caffeine, alcohol, drugs, sex, and flying. I told him thank you for his help and headed to my flight where I planned on engaging in caffeine, alcohol, drugs, and sex.
1: (laughs) Okay. Oh, my God. So many questions. So little time.
0: Well, you know, as a service to our older listeners, (laughs) including myself, I... I had to look up starfishing.
4: <laughs> and I found
0: it in the Urban Dictionary. And we probably should have gotten this from the context. <laughs> but it's when an individual who is too fatigued to engage in sexual activity themselves lay spread out on the bed for their partner like a starfish.
2: I am mortified because like I use this phrase all the time for just being lazy. So like literally like just today I told my coworkers that all I did last night was starfish on the ground. It's like a people know.
0: I think you have to have someone with you when you starfish. I, I According to the urban dictionary.
1: I liked the animated starfish ambitious starfish. Ambitious, ambitious, starfish. ambitious starfish. I love that. You know, when that scene with um, her lover takes place where he takes off his shirt. She snorts. He thinks he's being laughed at. I mean, how many things can go wrong in just one human touch? It boggles the mind. And uh, I love that you hate him. And, you know, he I hates. I hate that you love him. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love that he hates himself. <laughs> the Second City Training Center proudly sponsors the good stuff of personal disclosures. The Second City Training Center gives people a chance to have fun, go bold, and find their funny. If you're not near a training center, then go to secondcity.com online, and you can register. Next up is just one of my best people. I don't deserve to take credit for what this girl can do. She has a way of stooping to conquer, of making herself a doubting, foolish, apprehensive, low status, get along girl. And she's got a huge brain and a very loving family that just hopes she doesn't hurt herself. So somehow we get included in Story after story after story of Bridget going forward and doing stupid things, suffering and somehow managing to land on her feet. It truly is funny the way she denies, denies, denies and then admits. You're trapped. You are complicit in her psychologicals. This one is called Chasing Turds.
7: I was a boy crazy little girl. It started in kindergarten with Paul Gray and morphed into years of deep crushes, prank phone calls, begging my mom to drive past their houses, straight out stalking, all while in grade school. Paul Gray, Paul Coronado, Dave Bach, Michael Fassaro, Bill Borden, Mark Zott, Tom Van Lynch, just to name a few. When I exhausted the seventh and eighth grade boys of St. John of the Cross, I brought in my horizons to the boys of St. Francis, St. Cletus, McClure, and Park Junior High, Mark Hilton, Joey Saul, Jimmy Orego, and Joey Vidmitz. I had huge crushes on these boys. It was crazy. And they weren't secretive by any means. I was very open about which boy I liked and finding out if they liked me back. If not, next. <laughs> I laugh now, but I also cringe thinking about some of these escapades. Like, why couldn't I be a little bit more shy and sweet? Why couldn't I be just a little bit coy? Around seventh grade, a new Paul became my focus. Paul Coronado. One Saturday night, my friend Margaret and I called his house a few times. We wouldn't leave a message. We just would let it ring in hopes that someone would finally answer. We'd hang up, and five minutes later, we'd call again. We finally gave up for the night and put on a movie when my phone rang. Oh, my God, it was Paul. Did he have ESP? Why was he calling me? Hi, is Bridget home? This is she. Hey, it's Paul. Did you call me? No, why? Well, we just got this thing called caller ID, and it says that you called 13 times. Oh, my God. What? Um, no, my god, that's so weird. Well, Margaret's here, and I guess we called once. Maybe my phone fell off the receiver and kept dialing. I was caught, red-handed. I learned about caller ID the hard way, and then begged my mom to get it. As my grandpa would tell me, seem unavailable, but screw that. I was very available in the ugliest years of my life and didn't care who knew it. (laughs) Wearing my heart on my sleeve was an understatement. The funny thing is that the minute any boy would express interest, I'd run for the hills. It was all about the chase. I eased up on my stalking skills as I matured a bit in high school and college, but I was still developing these deep crushes with more of a modest chase. I'm sure some of my friends would beg to differ on my definition of modesty. <laughs> Mike Hubert, Ian Rise, Jim Keaton, Nate Smolin, Bill O'Leary, Luke Masoto, Joe Frostulo. Even post-college, I still lived for the chase. Steve Tangreen, Nick varda Eric Johnson, Don O'Donnell, Matt Loteen. Some of these guys became my actual boyfriends, where we dated for months, even years, but an element of the chase still held true, especially in the beginning of the relationships. But then, at 32, I found the love of my life and I got married. No, I didn't. (laughs) All my youthful chasing was embarrassing, but the stories get good when I actually start to date the guy. Take Don O'Donnell. I met him at a bar after playing in a softball tournament all day in September, which meant I had been drinking like summer shandies for about 12 hours. He came up to me out of the blue and asked me if I was interested in dating a guy who was going through a divorce with two kids. I laughed and said, have you been reading my Match.com profile? Don was a tall guy with a double chin. He had brown hair that he slicked to the side. He was wearing then what I learned became his uniform. Jeans, a plaid-colored shirt with a V-neck sweater, and old man loafers. He was extremely charming with very self-deprecating humor. He told me people always thought that he was at least 50 when he was just 32, And that his mom thought he was a dead ringer for a fat ken jennings who is ken jennings i laughed you don't know ken jennings he's the guy who won jeopardy like 10 weeks in a row and my mom told me i look like a fat version of him it cracked me up because it was kind of true and i love that he had no problem admitting this non-compliment the night we met don asked me if i wanted to go to another bar with him but i told him no i had to get going but i gave him my number I was seeming unavailable. My grandpa would be very proud, but really, I just wanted to get a burrito and didn't want this guy to judge me on the size of my order at Taco Burrito King. The next day, he texted, and he made me laugh, and I thought to myself, I could date a guy who was going through a divorce with kids. I mean, I'm 32. My parents are divorced. I get it. Who cares? So I looked him up on Facebook, and I saw that he was friends with my cousin, so I texted her immediately. Oh my God, how do you know Don O'Donnell? Hey, Bridge. How do you? He's married to my good friend, also named Bridget. What? He told me he was divorced. Well, you know what? Maybe they actually are. I haven't talked to her a while. I heard things were bad. Are you going out with him or something? Well, now I don't know if I am. I mean, I just met him last night. How'd you meet him? Tinder? No, Molly. I met him at a bar. I was so bummed. This guy was still married? What a jerk. And I couldn't really tell him that I looked him up on Facebook and found out that my cousin is friends with his wife, so I asked him some questions that would make him tell me the real deal. He admitted that he was separated, but his divorce would be finalized in two weeks. Okay, I thought, not so bad. Then he brought up his kids again. One was three years old, and one was three months old. Oh. A three-month-old? Oh my God. Apparently, he and his wife, Bridget, Bridget too, got <laughs> separated <laughs> while she was pregnant. I know what you're thinking. Not divorced, three-year-old and three-month-old, red flags, run. And I did run. I ran right into Don's arms. I realized his life was a mess, but he was so present in the beginning. He'd schedule dates. He'd call when he'd say he'd call. He'd not make me questions how fast I should respond to his text messages. It was so normal. I thought maybe this is how it should be. I mean, it was the opposite of what I was used to. I wasn't chasing him. He was chasing me, and I allowed it. I even liked it. He was so funny and I felt bad about his situation. I thought, maybe this isn't so bad. I mean, sure, it's not ideal, but really what is? (laughs) However, after a couple of months, he started to pull away, which just kicked my chase instinct into high gear. It made me want him even more, even though I knew he was totally wrong for me. My family, my friends, my therapist, people at Starbucks, like pretty much anyone (laughs) suggested I should stop talking to Don. He became a total jerk. He was a stress ball. He would get sloppy and drunk. He would make all these promises that he couldn't keep. So I know people are thinking like, why would you keep dating him? What was the appeal? It was the chase. In December, the relationship raft was sinking and I was holding on for dear life. One Sunday, we spent the afternoon getting a Christmas tree for his condo with his kids. He was in a bad mood and I was questioning why I was there. These were not my kids. This guy is an asshole but I was trying to convince myself that the Don I met in September would come back. Later that night, he went to drop the kids off at their mom's house while I stayed back and continued with the ornaments. Finally, alone in his apartment, I rushed to the bathroom. I had to go number two, and I was dying for him to leave. As I flushed the toilet, everything went down except one little turd. What? Oh, I flushed it again, still swirling. Tried one more time, and it looked like it worked. As I went to wash my hands, I noticed through the mirror that the water was starting to rise. The toilet was about to overflow, and that one little turd was about to escape onto his bathroom floor. I tried to remain calm and asked myself, what is most important right now? (laughs) His marble floors? No. The neighbors below him? No. Getting rid of that turd? Yes. (laughs) So I did what most 32-year-olds would do. I wrapped my hand in toilet paper, and as the water was spilling over the sides of the toilet bowl, I fished for the turd. Success. But now what? You would think I would run to his second bathroom and flush it down that toilet. Or you'd think that I'd open his back door and toss it on the grass where the dogs went. Worst case, I'd wrap it in toilet paper and paper towels and put it in his kitchen garbage. I could even offer to take the garbage out as I was leaving. Nope. I wrapped it up and put it in my pocket. (laughs) I tried to mop up the water, but the toilet wouldn't stop running. I had to hold the handle while waiting for him to get home. He finally did and I made up some weird excuse why I had to get home immediately. I hopped in my car and I called my sister Megan on the way home. Megan said she had tears rolling down her cheeks from laughing. Wait, so where is the turd now, she asked. It's still in my pocket. Bridget, throw it out the window. Why do these things happen to me, I don't know. Needless to say, Don and I did not work out. I've moved on, I've chased, I've dated, and I'm always trying to seem unavailable. And when I think about Don now and those crazy months, I laugh. I was just chasing a turd. Oh, and if you know anyone, my number is 708-606. Yeah. Wow. That honestly that, that
1: that one takes the cake. Do <laughs> something when she calls her sister and tells her she's got her own shit in her hand. That,
5: <laughs> and this I mean,
1: I felt for that sister, you know, like what why are you calling
5: me? What are you doing? I mean, I'm
2: sure Bridget's sister gets a lot of Oh, fun. oh for <laughs>
5: sure. Yeah. Yes. And every one of them, what I love about Bridget and her writing is that she can be in these dire situations where she's literally holding shit in her hand, but she's so optimistic about it. Yes. Like, everything's just great. Oh, it's no big deal.
2: Well, she's, like, such an overachiever. You know, like, most of us, like, try not to, like, fart in front of significant others. Like, who, who would go the length that she would go and actually put physical shit in their pocket?
5: And I love, though, that she was with this guy even though all of the warning signs told her no run away but she just has she's so romantic she has this ideal version of love in her head that she's willing to be like no it's fine no it's fine but it finally took an act of I don't want to say fecal apocalypse no, but like that's, you it. You know, apocalypse. that's a pretty like that's one of those stories that will live forever long after we are gone long after Bridget is gone the story of Bridget chasing turds and putting them in her pocket and I mean I think it's a metaphor right like he
2: he is the turd <laughs> yep. and mm-hmm. she is her own pocket yep. and she dated this total turd yep. and still felt the need to not
5: let him see her poop. Mm-hmm. Maybe she kept that turd in there a little longer than it needed to be, but eventually she got rid of it. But who no. okay, but who can't relate to this idea
1: of talking yourself into dating somebody or other? Like he's rich.' he's, he's probably a drunk, but yeah, he's got a family, but eh, you know right. he wants me to buy a Christmas tree. Oh well, all right. And I just think that's human nature where you know damn well that this is not gonna go well and you do it anyway. This next storyteller is just hilarious. Her name is Kenley. And somehow she managed to escape South Carolina and bring herself to the Second City Chicago scene. And she is, I really mean this, she's a goddess. And by that, I am referring to her statuesque profile, but also in terms of what she can pull together at the drop of a hat. She plays a pretty serious game with her comedy. She does stand up and she's snarky and all that, but wow, what a doll. I really do get a huge kick out of her misery. Take a listen to Kenley reading her worst first date.
2: How do you use Tinder, I asked Meg. Meg looked at me like I had just asked her how to claw my own eyes out. Swipe left or right, then front to back. She said it so matter-of-factly. I was like, what do you mean front to back? She goes, do you know a better way to wipe your own ass? If you're Tindering while you're not on the toilet, you're taking it too seriously. Meg had all the answers. And according to my straight friends, Tinder had all the dates. Being gay in North Carolina was about the same as being vegan in North Carolina. It was unnatural, unchristian, and if it was a lifestyle that you chose, it best be kept behind closed doors and out of other people's barbecues. I'm vegan too, incidentally, um, and wildly popular, as I'm sure you can imagine. A natural consequence of making life miserable for gay people is a lack of gay people, so the pickings were slim. I downloaded Tinder and watched a radiating circle for a few moments before a message popped up, no matches in your area. Undeterred, though, I took Meg's wise words to heart and continued to check Tinder whenever I was on the toilet. Then one day, there was a match. Her name was Audrey or Valerie or Chris. Honestly, like, I don't remember. I was just like, lady, and swiped right, then front to back. Uh, She looked vaguely like Ruby Rose in her profile picture. Femme, but edgy. Chiseled cheekbones and short brown hair, probably cut by someone with cool tattoos and a three-letter name like Jeff or Zeke. We texted for four days, and in hindsight, there were some red flags. Uh, She'd gone to a Christian fundamentalist college I'd never heard of. She'd tried alcohol for the first time the week before. And she bragged kind of incessantly about paying $175 for a thrift store dresser that was clearly all shabby and no chic. Seriously, in what world is that a bargain? We set a date for that weekend. She said she was, quote, obsessed with dive bars, so I recommended one near my house. She sent me some selfies in which she looked progressively less like Ruby Rose, but (laughs) we'd already made plans. I was in this now. Then there was a snowstorm. Being in North Carolina, I was pretty sure this was a solid out. Unfortunately, her cult-like college was located in some mountains, somewhere with a much higher threshold for winter. So she texted me, LOL, it's hilarious um, to me how North Carolina just shuts down because of two inches of snow. So I'm like, haha, lol, I know, right? But seriously, that we should probably reschedule. <laughs> Unfortunately, my former life as a New Englander has instilled in me an irrational desire to prove that I am stronger than winter. So I set out to meet her to prove that winter could not stop me from meeting her, even if I didn't really want to meet her anyway. My driveway was coated in about two inches of impenetrable ice, so driving was out of the question. Children were literally using the road in front of my house as an ice skating rink. I began my 1.5-mile trek to the bar in a mini dress, snow boots, and all of my jackets. I was butt scooting, shuffling, and crawling my way to the main road. When I got there, the sidewalks were piled high with three-foot-tall piles of tightly packed, iced-over snow, forcing me to walk in the road. As I watched cars slide and skid way too close to me, I cursed my inner Bostonian, which of course cursed right back at me. It's wicked cold out, you fucking idiot. (laughs) I arrived first and got a booth in the back of the bar. I was the only one there, all reasonable North Carolinians having stayed home, so it was easy to tell when she arrived. I got up and immediately noticed that she looked nothing like I had expected. She was approximately four foot 11 and distinctly (laughs) rat-faced. I watched her walk the length of the bar and noted a growing look of disappointment on her face. HER face. (laughs) She had the nerve to be disappointed with me. Me, who my friends have all agreed, under only modest duress, look exactly like Charlize Theron. Whatever. I regrouped and decided to prove how awesome I was, a plan that never fails except for catastrophically. I went in for a hug, she stepped back and extended a hand for me to shake, the bartender cringed I wanted to die. We sat silently on opposite sides of the booth. It was the kind of silence that you can't break without shattering. We looked down at our laps. After probably 30 to 45 of the longest seconds of my life, she shrugged and said with more apathy than I could possibly ever convey. So did you like have any New Year's resolutions? My head involuntarily tilted to the side as I strained to recall when January even was. I think we were nearing the end of February. I tried really hard to recall any feelings of optimism or ambition I might have had two and a half months earlier while nursing a champagne hangover. I responded, getting in shape probably, but that's what everyone says, right? Totally deadpan, she says, not me, I'm in shape. (laughs) So then we both stared our laps again. Meanwhile, I'm like racking my brain trying to think of literally anything to say. So finally, I'm like, I'm writing a screenplay. She asks, what's it about? I start my spiel. It's funny about the crazy things that happen in the Title IX realm of higher education. Like, for instance, in one episode, stalking is defined in the school policy as repeated unwanted attention. So a student brings a stalking claim against her professor for emailing her a few times about a low test score. You guys, I'm not saying this is an amazing pitch, but she was totally silent for, like, 16 (laughs) seconds. Then she goes, right, because he emailed her more than once, and she didn't want the emails. So I'm like, yeah, so funny, right? And she goes, I swear to God, I actually don't like comedy. So I, like, audibly gasp and clutch my pearls. And she continues, I don't enjoy humor. I I take myself seriously. I guess I'm just more intellectual. (laughs) Then the waiter comes over, thank God, and is like, can I get y'all any apps or anything? So I ask her, really trying to temper my enthusiasm. Do you want to try the sweet potato tots? I hear they're great here. She totally ignores me and asks if they have a green salad. And the waiter is like, well this is a dive bar, so we could make one maybe out of the lettuce we put under wings, but we really mostly have normal bar food. Um, So again, I try to interject, and I'm like, the sweet potato tots, and she cuts me off immediately, and is like, a green salad would be great. (laughs) I can't help myself. I ask her again, so where did we land on the sweet potato tots? And my brain is like, stop fucking mentioning the sweet potato tots, but of course I can't, so I keep going, and I'm like, I can order the sweet potato tots if you like wanted to share the sweet potato tots and my brain is just like god stop embarrassing me but I'm like never and I tell the waiter yeah it seems like we're all on board an order of sweet potato tots for whoever may or may not want them nailed it right so you think we're free and clear we're not um the waiter then asks if we want anything to drink so I'm like sure I'll have a cider she goes do you have wine red wine it has to be red so the waiter's like, yeah, yeah, we do. But she's not done. She goes, anything from before 1999 would be great. So the waiter backs away from the table baffled, and he's like, I'll check on that. And I'm like, take me with you. <laughs> and also now I'm, like, really salty. So I, I ask her, come to dive bars often? <laughs> and I guess she picked up on it because she goes, you know what's ironic is that your New Year's resolution was to get in shape, but you ordered sweet potato tots. <laughs> So my brain and like fat Albert voice is like, oh, hell no. (laughs) It's time to fight, obviously, passive aggressively. So I'm like game face on, is that ironic? Or is it just a really bitchy thing to say? (laughs) And it's like tense silence follows. Then the waiter comes back. And I'm like, oh my god, pick a lane. And he's like, I forgot. Do you want those tots loaded with cheese and bacon? (laughs) So I tell him, no thanks, I'm vegan. I said it without thinking about it, but immediately this, like, this weird tense silence, all of a sudden it starts making my hair prickle and I can tell that whatever I just said made things way worse. So a couple of seconds pass and then she says, you know plant protein is a myth, right? And at this point I'm just like, what is happening? So in the calmest voice that I can muster while every single muscle in my face is tense, I reply, it's a, it's no, no, no it's not, <laughs> not a myth. She goes, You would literally die within weeks of going without meat. So I'm like, plot twist, I've actually never eaten meat. And not to brag, but I'm currently not dead. (laughs) So she asks, you've never eaten meat? Were you, like, really poor as a child? So while I'm trying to think of how I can possibly respond to this, she continues, I mean, if that's what you want for yourself, that's fine. I just want to be strong, you know, like an ox. So I'm like, perfect, because oxen only eat plants, so... At this point, the silence is so tense, I feel like it's trying to actively stab me. I can actually hear the soft tap of the red plastic app baskets as they hit the wooden table. I eat a sweet potato tot, and I'm chewing it so slowly because I don't want the silence to notice and get mad at me. And then she says, like she's bitter about it, those tater tots are so small and cute. You forget they have calories. I eat another one, and as I do, she looks me dead in the eyes and says, oops, 30 calories. And I'm like, shots fired. So I eat another one, and she says, oops, 30 calories. At that point, I decide to do the rational, mature thing and slowly stuff my mouth with as many sweet potato tots as will fit, while maintaining constant, unblinking eye contact. I'm probably at like, tot number 14. I have chipmunk cheeks full of tots when she says, Kentley, let me ask you a question. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Tots spew out of my mouth. All I can think to say is, I'm going to use the restroom. Which was like as eloquently as I could say, I'm going to use the restroom with 14 tots in my mouth. I went into the bathroom and leaned against the door. I I was racking my brain. Was this a setup? Was it gay punked? Is there a gay punked? Could it be a trap to convert pretty gay girls to Christian fundamentalism? Could that happen to me twice in one year? (laughs) hashtag gay in the Bible belt. I was hunched over with a hand on each knee as if in an invisible football huddle and I'm telling myself, okay sport, this has been rough but it's time to regroup and get the fuck out of here. So I took some deep breaths, coughed up some tot and went back into the bar. <laughs> Almost immediately as I'm walking back in I crashed into the waiter and genius struck. Worst state ever, had driven about 20 minutes to get to the bar. I gave the waiter $5 and asked him to come over to our booth and tell us that the roads were freezing over and that if we had to drive home, we needed to get going. I returned to the table and sat, eagerly awaiting my escape. The waiter came over and started talking. Hey, if you all drove here, I interjected way too early, grabbing my purse and standing, oh no! <laughs> the waiter, eyes bulging at me as if to say, damn bitch, be cool, continued, You may want to get going. The roads are freezing over. By this time, I'm already halfway to the exit. So as I'm literally walking out of the door, I shout back, oh, no, guess I better get going. Later that day, she unmatched me. (laughs) A message popped up. No new matches in your area. Piece of shit, I said before getting off the toilet. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Mm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Woo! Okay, the things we do for love, you poor soul. Um, Thank goodness Tony can offer some constructive criticism. (laughs) All I can do is pity you and pat you on the head.
0: Well, Kenley and I obviously have a lot in common, and that's uh, (laughs) uh, looking for women on Tinder.
3: (laughs) It was almost destined to be doomed from the way beginning. From the moment that she saw there were no matches in her area, and then finally one popped up, I'm like, there's no way that this one is actually going to work out. When you wrap into that, the weather system that was happening at the same time I'm like there's the stars are aligning this is going to be it's got to go bad the worst date ever and i know that they talk about do you know jesus christ is your personal lord and savior but it does seem like god intervened to make sure that this date would not go smoothly <laughs> she should have known <laughs> yeah she
4: should have
3: all the all the signs were there <laughs> i just go with the hot crazy scale
4: yeah, yeah. i've heard you say that but yeah. it's an inverse co- correlation right
0: well not necessarily
3: you could be hot and sane. Come on.
0: You can, but if they're too crazy, no matter how hot they are, you got to let them go. But if they are sane enough and hot, then you're in
3: good shape. See, the reason why I don't think I made it as an engineer is because I actually don't think about relationships in this type of uh, format. For me, it's all about feeling. I'm, I'm a total feeler. And so if it feels right, it feels right. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And the rest is all noise in my opinion.
4: Well, that's a wrap on our pilot episode, Bad Romance, when stumbling into love falls short of fairy tale. I know this ensemble brought the goods for the past hour, but I promise you, you've seen or heard nothing yet. The humor gets smarter from here and the stories even more touching. This podcast was created by me, Julie Bashkin, in partnership with Alana Kipp and Nancy Beckett and the Second City Training Center sound engineering recording and original music scores created by gravity studios in chicago visit personaldisclosures.com for tips and tricks on how to make your own personal disclosures and to access exclusive personal training and group events with famous best-selling authors and comedians you've seen on tv make sure to follow us on instagram where you may find embarrassing vintage photos from our youth And please, share with your friends and leave a review on Stitcher and iTunes. It helps us out tremendously to get the word out and to bring you more laughs and maybe even some tears every week with new episodes.